Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, well, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Rees listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. And we're back, y'all. Season nine. Here we go. You know, I love a story that brings a little joy and wonder to my day, and today that story is The Bank of Burkina Faso by Ekaterina Sedia. I discovered it in The Best of World SF, Volume 1, edited by Lavi Tadar. Fun fact, Lavi wrote the story Iwu, which I read a few seasons back on the podcast. Today's story is also a part of Ekaterina's story collection, Moscow But Dreaming. Ekaterina is the author of such critically acclaimed and award-nominated novels as The Secret History of Moscow and The Alchemy of Stone. She's had many short stories published in a number of venues, including the recent anthology Eurasian Monsters. Ekaterina is also a biology professor, animal rescuer, and activist, you know, in her spare time. Now, I don't like to give too much away before digging into a story, but I think it's fair to tell you that the Nigerian prince email scam figures prominently here. And I'm about 99.999% sure you've received an email like this. A prince or military official or someone who sounds quite authoritative emails you that they have a huge sum of money hidden in a foreign bank. Or maybe it was seized in a military coup or by a corrupt government official. Whatever it is, their hands are tied. And if you, yes, you will assist them in getting those funds, you will be handsomely rewarded. It's called advance fee fraud. Now, it turns out a similar kind of scam has been running for centuries. There was one that was pretty common about 100 years ago called the Spanish Prisoner Scam. The Spanish-American War of 1898 was the first to be covered by the media as we know it today. And folks read about it in the papers, so they knew about the political upheaval and mercenaries and all of this real-life drama. That led to some very intelligent scammers 
often based in Britain or Spain, using these real-life events as a backdrop. The letter writer would say he was imprisoned in a Spanish jail and needed the recipient's help. Maybe he was nearing death and had a daughter who would be orphaned. There was a large sum of money hidden away or being held by someone else, and all the recipient needed to do was send some money for his daughter's travel expenses or maybe send some cash to pay the banker who'd been holding on to the fortune. I mean, I think it's fascinating because these letters don't just play on our greed, they play with our emotions. They seduce us with a great story and the idea that we could be the chosen ones, that we could save the day. Who doesn't want to be the hero and make a good little chunk of change at the same time? So, to my beloved listeners, be wary of queens and princes and their sob stories, and enjoy this one today. If you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. The Bank of Burkina Faso by Ekaterina Sadia. One knows that one was a good ruler when even in exile, the cursed, dishonored, one still has a loyal servant who remains, despite the tattered cuffs and disgrace, despite the wax splotches covering the surface of the desk like lichen on tombstones, remains by one's side and lights the candles when darkness coagulates, cold and bitter, outside of one's window. The deposed Prince of Burundi nodded his gratitude at Emilio, the servant with a dark and hard profile carved like stone against the white curtains and the shadow of sifting snow behind them like a restless ghost. The prince then carefully perched his glasses, held together by blue electrical tape, on the vertiginous hump of his aristocratic nose and turned on his computer. The Wi-Fi in most Moscow apartment buildings was standard, but spotty during snowstorms, and the prince hurried to get out as many emails as he could before the weather made it impossible to send anything out. He saved reading of his email for the very end, until after his messages were hurtled into the electronic ether and he could have the leisure to read through the 112 messages in his inbox. None of them were replies. He was not surprised. Daily, he steeled himself preparing for just such an outcome. After all, wasn't his own inbox filled with desperate pleas? Cries for help he had neither wherewithal nor opportunities to answer? The best he could do was read them all and let his heart break over and over. 
However, after so many years of reading, of writing those letters himself, because what else was there to do for those exiled and dishonored but to reach for the unknown stranger's kindness? He found himself growing weary, and the words flowed together in a soft, gray susurrus of complaint. So it was surprising for him to click on a name that did not look familiar and to be jolted to awareness by the words so crisp and true. My dearest, the unknown Lucita Almadao started. It is in great hope that I reach out to you. I am the widow of the General Amadao, an important figure in my country's history. However, after the military takeover and the dismantling of our rightful government, my husband was given to a dishonorable death. To this day, I weep every moment I think of the cruelty of his fate. The storm intensified, and the draft from the windows hissed and howled, and the candles in their tarnished candelabra guttered. The prince hurriedly downloaded the letter onto his Blackberry, cracked screen, half-dead battery, because he just couldn't bear the thought of not finishing it that night. The electricity cut off at that very moment, and the prince sighed. Emilio took the candles to the dining room, further away from the offending window and the drafts, to the comfortable chair where the prince could wrap his feet in a blanket and read on the handheld screen its light blue and flickering and dead. Imagine my horror, the Honorable Lucita Almadao wrote, in words that betrayed the genuine emotions of one who had suffered deeply and sincerely. The prince had an eye for such things since like knows like. Imagine the paralyzing terror of one caught up in a dream, unable to wake up as he was taken to the cobbled courtyard. I remember the white linen of his shirt in the darkness, fluttering like a moth, its wings opening and closing over one sculpted collarbone. I remember the rough soldier's hands on his sleeves, patches of darkness cut out of the fabric, and the yellow and red of their torches, long, sleek reflections on the barrels of their rifles. At least, I think those were rifles. I apologize, my dearest one, my unknown friend, for my mind wanders when I think of such matters. It is, of course, of no concern to you, but I seek your help in freeing his not insignificant fortune from the bank, the Bank of Burkina Faso, to be exact. I seek your help in accessing these funds, since because you're a foreign national with no ties to my husband, the operation may be easier for you. I loathe to think about money at such a time, the Blackberry finally gave up the ghost, a pale, bluish flicker that dissipated in the yellow candlelight. 
The prince gave a small wail of disappointment, but soon settled by the window to watch the furious dance of the snowflakes in the cone of the streetlight down below his window. And in his mind, another dance, entirely imaginary, unfolded slowly like a paper fan in the hands of a young girl. The hands grabbing arms, a shiny sliver of a sharp blade pressed against dark throat. The sad fate of the deceased general kept replaying as he remembered the widow's letter, every word heavy with salt and sorrow. The next morning, the electricity was back, even though Emilio thoughtful and far-sighted as always, had already transferred perishables onto the slowly thawing window ledge and started drinking the beer before it grew warm. Once the refrigerator started humming again, Emilio returned the unfinished beverage into the security of the manufactured cold, plugged in the recharger for the blackberry, and turned on the electric stove to make breakfast. The prince sat in the warmest corner of the kitchen, the orange upholstering of the corner seat shifting under his bony backside as if ready to detach from its padding and composed the letter in his mind. He could not let the plea of the unknown but suffering widow, Lucita Almadao, go unanswered. He had spent a cold and mostly sleepless night under his thin blanket, tossing from one side to the other, not because of the prominent springs in his couch, but rather because her words cut to the heart. He was too busy to even dream about the bank of Burkina Faso. After breakfast, he dutifully logged into his account, a mailbox full with the usual pleas. I am writing in respect of a foreign customer of our bank who perished along with his next of kin with Korean Airline, flight number 801, with the whole passengers on the 6th of Augustus, 1997, wrote one. The reason for a foreigner in the business is for the fact that the deceased man was a foreigner, and it is not authorized by the law guiding our bank for a citizen of this country to make such claim. This is the reason why the request of you as a foreigner is necessary to apply for the release and transfer of the funds smoothly into your reliable bank account, insisted another. The words as familiar as the prince's own. The only difference between these people and himself was that he suspected the truth about the bank of Burkina Faso. He started on the letter to Lucita Almadao, the widow of the slain general. My dear unknown friend, the prince wrote, your words have reached me, albeit perhaps not to the effect you have intended, for I too am looking for a foreign national to obtain access to 11.3 million euros I have deposited in the bank of Burkina Faso, while I was still the rightful ruler of my beautiful Burundi. I now live in exile, in a cold and frozen city, and I look for assistance from a foreign national such as yourself. I 
promise complete confidentiality. The prince frowned at the screen. The words came out in a familiar pattern, honed by many months of repetition, but they failed to convey the emotion he had felt while reading the widow's epistle. He deleted the paragraph and started again. My dear friend, he wrote, I apologize for deviating from the form, but the very nature of the Bank of Burkina Faso demands that I should be straightforward with you. You may not know it, but you do not have to be a foreign national to access the funds. He stopped and rubbed the bridge of his nose. He could feel the tension building in his sinuses like it did every time he tried to put into words what he had intuited about the bank. You only need to know what the bank is. But I cannot trust this information to electronic words, for they wander and get lost and fall into wrong hands. So I beg for your help, my dearest one, in the transfer. That is to say, if you were to hint at your whereabouts, perhaps there would be another way. He hit send before the familiar fog settled over his mind and erased the intermittent knowledge of the bank's secret workings. It was afternoon when the prince decided that there was no point in lounging about since Lucita Amadao wouldn't answer right away. No one wanted to appear overly eager or gullible. Instead, he took a shower and told Emilio to iron his good shirt. After tying a tie and wrapping himself into a moth-bitten shearling coat that had seen innumerable better days, he headed to the bus stop. There were two advantages to living in Moscow that the prince could see public transportation, and access to classical music. Whenever the mood struck, he headed to the center of the city, bus, then subway, just like there was always a fig in fruit in every jungle, so there was always a theater in Moscow with a concert or an opera about to start. The tickets, like the public transportation were accessible to the masses, thus killing their appeal for the upper class. The prince had ceased to be a member of the latter some years ago, and although he disapproved of the local weather, he waited patiently for the bus that appeared, just as the sensation in the prince's toes and ears started to disappear. He hurried inside and bounced and jostled all the way to the subway station 15 minutes away. It was an inconvenience, living on the outskirts, but the only habitation he and Emilio could afford was a fifth-story walk-up on the southeast end of the city. Once he entered the subway station, it was warm and placid. The stray dogs were coming home from the city's center, They took the subway, riding up and down the escalator with the expression of quiet and standoffish dignity, so that they could spend their days begging by the restaurants and robbing tourists 
of their hot dogs. Now the dogs poured out of the outbound trains with the rivers of ruddy, white, and black fur as the human passengers stepped carefully around them. The prince smiled as he waited on the platform, surrounded by beige and yellow marbled columns, and wondered if the sheer numbers of stray Moscow dogs gave them the sort of elevated, exuberant intelligence rarely seen in these beasts elsewhere in the world. He wondered if they possessed some sort of a collective mind, and the thought itched again in the corners of his eyes and between his eyebrows, and he rubbed the bridge of his nose. The bank manifested much today. As soon as he boarded the train, largely empty, the blackberry in his pocket buzzed, urgent. It took him a moment to tilt the screen away from the overhead light's glare, and even then he read the name of the message several times just to make sure that the crack on the screen wasn't deceiving him somehow. The message was from the widow Almadao. The prince's heart pulsed in his fingertips as he tapped the screen and read her stumbling words. My dearest one, she wrote, it is such a surprise to read your message, words of a man who knows both suffering and hope, and I envy you your dignity and humility. I cannot tell how I cried and howled and threw myself against the walls, how I broke my fingernails on the frozen cobblestone of these streets, on these icy embankments. Yes, my dear unknown friend, I am in the same city as you are, and it is getting dark at 4 p.m., and the shadows stretch long and blue in the hollows between snowdrifts. There's slush on the roads and sidewalks, and my black shoes have permanent salt marks, like a rack line. None of it matters, only that the fate has brought us to the same city, too peopled and desolate for words, just as it is fate that we can perhaps salvage what we can from the bank of Burkina Faso, together, if only you would help me. The prince's eyes missed it over, and he brushed the unbidden moisture from his cheekbone with the edge of his hand. He had never met her, and yet, as he read her email, he anticipated every word before his eyes had a chance to take it in, and every heartbeat doubled in his chest as if it became an echo chamber. If the fate has brought us together, he wrote back, perhaps it will let us find each other. Perhaps we shall meet among the dust and music and musty odor. Meet me at the house of music in an hour.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Long days and no drumstick make for short fuses. And this fateful Monday, my fuse was as stubby and hungry as they come. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones? Take it easy, Sonny. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones, please? Yes! Sweet, creamy, crunchy, crispy, decadent deliciousness. <clears throat> Sir, I can ring you up. In my preoccupation with scoring a drumstick, I had forgotten my wallet. Uh, do you offer buy now, pay later? Another day, another drumstick. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Now, let's get back to our story. The House of Music was a relatively small building, housing a decent orchestra that offered a small but reliably good range of classical music and was rarely sold out. Today was no exception. The prince paid his admittance, checked in his embarrassing coat, and wandered down the raspberry-colored carpet in his thin-soled and soaked shoes toward the lobby and the concession stand. He recognized her from afar. She was tall, even taller than him, and the saffron frock loosely gathered at her dark shoulders draped as if it was made when her figure was fuller and younger, its tattered hem splayed on the carpet like feathers. She recognized him, too. She smiled and waved as she lifted the glass of lemonade to her lips, painted the color of the inside of a hibiscus flower. The concert started with the obligatory Packlebell's Canon and Bach's Fugue and Sonata, but they were barely aware of the music delirious with happiness at having found each other and muddled by the habitual fog that always accompanied any attempt to think about the Bank of Burkina Faso in a logical manner. Yet, together, and with the help of the strings and the organ, undeterred by the bellicose glances of other music lovers, they managed to tell each other what each of them knew. The problem with the bank 
was the inability of anyone who had deposited money there to get it back. Phone calls resulted in requests for foreign nationals and playing of recorded strange music. And the physical location of the bank remained unknown. Burkina Faso has been scoured from border to border by millions of those who had no hope now of returning their fortunes or rewarding the long-lost nexts of kin. It was concluded, then, that it must be present elsewhere in the world, and in all likelihood the bank did not have a permanent area of residence— Hence the constant demand for foreign nationals, since if it moved around, everyone was a foreign national. That made sense even through the muddled thoughts. The prince had developed a hunch that the bank's existence itself was not a permanent or assured thing. You see, he told the widow Lucita Amadou, once I dreamt about that bank and I saw it in my mind, Clear as day, I saw the porticos and the red bricks of its facade, even the tiny cracks and the cement between the bricks. And the next day, I received a letter from someone I knew who was able to claim his money that night. He never returned my emails where I asked for locations and details, but I'm sure that my dream helped him somehow. Lucita Amadou clapped her hands once and caught herself as the lone sound resonated in the air as the orchestra had fallen momentarily silent and a few faces turned around to look at them. I dreamt of it too, she said in a frenzied whisper, more of a hiss. It was last summer, mine too, and then several times after that. And did it happen every time? No, only once. She tugged her lip thoughtfully. So, your dreaming might not be the only condition. Necessary, but not sufficient. I'm not sure it's even necessary. I mean, he had to slap his own hollow cheek slightly to keep his thoughts on track. I mean that maybe it doesn't have to be me, but anyone... It happened to you, to us. Do you remember the date of your fateful dream last summer? July 15th. Mine too. Maybe what is necessary is that more than one person dreams it. Applause broke out around them, and they shuffled with the rest of the crowd into the foyer for the intermission. The prince sweated and palpitated and felt his forehead and ears grow too warm for the combined excitement of finding her and being able to talk about the bank to someone in person. Together, it was easier to break the pall it cast over their thoughts. They bought lemonade and drank it by the window. If one pulled apart the wine-colored velvet of the drapes, one could see the snow that started sifting from the low clouds, flaring like handfuls of beads when it hits the cones of streetlights and disappearing in the darkness. One could also see several stray dogs sitting by the entrance, waiting patiently for the patrons to leave 
concession stand leftovers in hand. These dogs scare me, Lucita Amadao said, looking over the prince's shoulder. The other day, one of them startled me just as I was buying food from a street vendor, and I dropped it. This is how they hunt, the prince said, still looking out the window. They are like lions, and hot dogs are their prey. We're merely a vehicle. I heard that these dogs are becoming more intelligent. They know how to take the subway. I've seen them there. I think they might have a single mind among them. Once again, his sinuses itched and filled with pressure. Do you think they can dream? Lucita Amadao's eyes, reflected in the dark pane of the window, widened. Dogs? Why not? If it is us who's dreaming the bank, we cannot enter it. I would dream it for you, but I'm not enough. My dearest one, she quoted softly, I need your assistance. We can write the others. And who will want to be the dreamers while everyone else goes to claim their fortunes? Outside, the dogs howled with one voice. It wasn't an easy task to train the stray dogs to dream. Their collective mind seemed very focused on food and warmth, especially warmth since the nights had grown bitter. The prince had opened the doors of his walk-up to them despite Emilio's protestations. Had no other choice, really. They slept on the floor and by the radiator, under the kitchen chairs, on Emilio's pull-out couch. The apartment smelled like warmed fur and filled with the quiet but constant clacking of claws on the parquet. The prince was at first terrified and then amused when the dogs started paying for their lodgings. They arrived with wallets, sometimes empty, sometimes with money in them. One day, as he was traveling to see the widow Lucita Amadao, he learned how the dogs got the wallets. As the train slowed down, pulling closer to the station, the prince saw a stray dog hop onto the seat next to a well-dressed man, the sheen of his sharkskin jacket making a lovely contrast with the crisp white shirt and his striped burgundy tie, which looked Italian and expensive. The dog whined and smiled, his thick tail of a German shepherd mix thumping against the vinyl of the seat. The man smiled and petted the dog's head gingerly. Who wouldn't, looking at those bright eyes and pink tongue? The train pulled into the station, and the doors hissed open, just as the dog thrust his muzzle into the man's jacket, grabbing the wallet from his inner pocket, and bounded onto the platform, just as the stream of incoming passengers hid him from view and prevented the robbery victim from chasing after. The man cursed, and the prince buried his face in the newspaper. That night, a German shepherd mix showed up at his door with an Italian wallet, moist but otherwise undamaged in his mouth. Lucita Almadao stopped by every now and again to help talk to the dogs and to pet the stray heads 
their tongues lolling gratefully and eyes squinting with pleasure. She told them about the bank of Burkina Faso and her dead husband breaking the dogs and the prince's hearts anew. He talked to them too and showed them the emails, the constant stream of pleas by the lost and the banished, the plaintive song playing in a loop, asking again and again for assistance from foreign nationals in their quest to liberate their stolen millions or to reclaim rightful inheritance. The dogs listened, their heads tilted, their ears pricked up. Most of them left in the morning to take the bus and the subway, but came back at night with wallets and an occasional watch. It took them almost all the way to New Year, but slowly, slowly, the dogs started dreaming in unison. Their legs twitched as if they were running, and their tails wagged in their sleep. When the prince looked out of the window, he occasionally glimpsed a brick or a part of the wall, a segment of a bank vault hovering, disembodied over the no-man's-land of the frozen and snowed-over yard. Once, he ran for the apparition, but it crumbled, and a piece of dream wall fell on his shoulder almost dislocating it. The dogs were getting better at dreaming as the prince and the widow Lucita Almadao got worse. The two of them barely slept, sustained by the flickering candlelight and Emilio's stern stares, by the sleepless hope that left them ashen in the mornings, desolate in the first gray light falling on the stalagmites of candle wax. The dogs left in the morning, and the widow Almadao sometimes left with them, and sometimes, bowled over by fatigue, she curled up and slept on Emilio's couch, dog hair clinging to her black, cobweb-thin mantilla. The prince dozed off in his chair and waited, waited for the dogs to come back home. They were ready to give up on the night it actually happened. It was a dead hour after the moon had set, but the sun had not yet risen, the hour between wolf and dog, and the prince started to fall asleep. A sharp tug on his sleeve woke him, and he startled, wide-eyed. He thought he was dreaming at first when he saw the brick facade and the golden letters over the double oak doors. The Bank of Burkina Faso. The dogs snored in unison, and Lucita Amadao clutched her hands to her chest. When they ran down the steps... The bank still stood, not wavering, a solid construction hewn out of stray dogs' dreams. The sun was rising behind it, casting a faint promise of light, like a halo around the bank. We'd better hurry, Lucita Amadao said. Of course, he answered. Side by side, they walked toward the bank, their feet leaving long blue depressions 
in the old snow, shivering in the cold. The knuckles on his left and her right hands almost brushing against each other. Good story. I mean, really, really. We have all received these letters, these emails, and and if you're anything like me, I dismiss them. I you know I delete them immediately. I mean, I read maybe the first couple, um, and I can even admit uh, I think we're close enough that I can reveal this to you. Um, I'm pretty sure that the first one or two I read, you know, evoked some sense of responsibility, perhaps, um, for the fate of this stranger and their money. Now, I don't see myself as a, a vulnerable or, or gullible guy, but that's, that's the thing about this kind of communication. I think it is because of the nature of our humanness, that part of us that is hardwired to respond to the needs of others, that natural sense of, of empathy, care, compassion that we have for our fellow man. I think it, it does in a way make us vulnerable, sometimes even gullible. I look at my mother before she passed, and um, my mother-in-law, who is still here, and the susceptibility that they display in being taken in by that which tugs at their heart. No matter how immune we feel that we are, we are still human, and as such, we are, I believe, all susceptible at one time or another to a pitch, to an offer, uh, to a plea that touches our hearts and causes us to feel, against our will even, feel for the other. This is the part of humanity that I am desperately rooting on, rooting for. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. Extraordinary in every sense of the word, y'all. I can tell you from personal experience. We have editing support this season from Harry Huggins and Josephine Martirana. My thanks to Ekaterina Sadia for allowing me to read her story today. You can find it in her collection entitled Moscow but dreaming. 
If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or simply hook up a friend with your favorite episode. I appreciate you. And as always, you can hear episodes ad-free and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. LeVarBurton.com is the website. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I was hours into a hunt for new digs at the local shopping mall and losing steam fast when fate intervened. Drumsticks, get your drumsticks. Nutty, sweet drumstick. What luck. One drumstick, please. Here you go. This is hot. It's made of chicken. I want an ice-cold, creamy, crunchy drumstick Sunday cone. You and me both, buddy. But that's the vendor next door. Drumsticks. But that line is three miles long. Oh, well. Another day, another drumstick.